Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Hello, faithful podcast listeners. Pastor Adam here. Hey, we wanted to just give you this uh, quick announcement. First of all, I want to say how much we love you and thank you for listening to this sermon podcast on the Potter's House Church here in Virginia Beach. And just wanted to give you a heads up. We're making some changes to this podcast uh, that's going to benefit you and also our ministry here in the Potter's House Church. So just to inform you, we've switched our podcasting host. It's a service called Anchor, and that has allowed us to uh, receive and generate some income through the placement of a couple of advertisements during our podcast. So we just wanted to inform you of this change because going forward, you are going to hear one or two 30-second ads during each podcast uh, sermon. So um, as a result of that small inconvenience on your part, it means that our church can monetize these podcasts and also that means that we can receive some financial support so that we can continue the work of winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. So we just wanted to say thank you again for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for sharing these messages. And thank you for your patience as we make this helpful change. We hope you have a great day. God bless. I want to talk to you about something that I learned in my science class last year. Um, uh, if you didn't know, I uh, took on a class at a local private Christian school. Uh, I taught science for the 7th and 8th graders uh, in, uh, in the last school year. And one of the things that we talked about in that science class, which was something I knew already, but something that I was reminded about, something so incredible, was the issue uh, that is called symbiosis. Have you ever heard of the word symbiosis? Symbiosis, or a symbiotic relationship, is something incredible that occurs in nature. The definition of symbiosis is when two different organisms are living in close association that is to the advantage of both organisms. In other words, there's two animals or two different kinds of organisms that we're going to see here in a minute that, uh, that they are helping each other in nature, and both are benefiting from that relationship. The word symbiosis, when you break it down, you have the prefix S-Y-M, sim, which means together. And then you have biosis, which means life or living. And so literally, to have symbiosis means to live well together. And symbiosis is something that God has designed into good life. I mean, you know, a good marriage can be sweet symbiosis, where both a husband and wife contribute and benefit from a relationship. Our relationship with God, if you're saved in this place, 
That is a symbiotic relationship between you and God. Uh, We are benefiting from God much more than he benefits from us. But at the end of the day, when we serve the Lord Jesus Christ, we are gaining forgiveness of sins. We're gaining eternal life. We're gaining undeserved crowns of glory, but it's not for nothing. God, what does God get out of our relationship with him? Well, he gains living sacrifices. He gains people still alive on the earth, able to live and work and move and speak on his behalf. Right? It is a symbiosis, a symbiotic relationship. There are certain cases, and we're going to see in this video, where symbiosis can become sinister. And where one partner in the relationship begins to take advantage of the other. It is the case where one party is making withdrawals, but not making deposits. Have you ever been in a relationship like that? It almost seems as if it's one-sided, where one party does all the work and the other person only benefits. This is what happens many times in a relationship that we have with the government, where the, the government is only taking our tax and not giving us much except heartache in return. So I want to show you this short video. It's a, it's a four-minute little science video that describes three different kinds of symbiotic relationships in nature. Go ahead and show that video for me. to work together. When different types of creatures interact with one another in the interest of survival, it's called a symbiosis, and intentional symbiotic relationships are surprisingly common in nature. Depending on who benefits from the relationship, partnerships can either be mutualistic, commensalistic, or parasitic. Mutualism is when both creatures benefit from being around each other, like at these remarkable underwater fish spas. Upwelling, nutrient-rich waters draw huge numbers and varieties of fish to seamounts and reefs, but not all of them are here for the food. Hammerhead sharks, turtles, and even manta rays make their way to these specific locations for none other than a premium cleaning service. These big fellas drift calmly around the reef, allowing smaller fish like wrasse, surgeon fish, and angelfish to pick off parasites and algae, leaving them feeling fresh. The big fish get a luxury exfoliation and the small fish get a tasty meal, so everyone's a winner. Of course, there's always that one friend that asks for just a little too much, and in this case, it's the manta ray, who times its visit to coincide with a sturgeon fish's spawning season, so it gets a free meal of fish eggs along with its wax and polish, which frankly, just seems a little bit rude. On the other hand, if only one creature in the partnership benefits while the other is relatively unaffected, it's called commensalism. Aphids are tiny insects that feed on plant sap. When they bite into a stem, the sugary liquid surges out under high pressure, in through their mouths and straight out the other end. These back-end secretions are called honeydew, and they're a choice delicacy for their symbiotic companions. Because while the aphids are minding their own aphidy business, 
ants are actively farming them and creaming off the delicious honeydew. Stroking their antennas over the aphids' bodies encourages a droplet of honeydew to form, which they can then drink. And the ants will even move their aphid herds around to more productive areas of the plants when supplies start to dry up. So delicious drink for the ant, business as usual for the aphid only it's not quite as innocuous as it seems. In order to keep their aphid pets at home, the ants resort to more aggressive tactics that are definitely not business as usual. Ripping off the aphid's wings and even drugging them with chemicals from their feet to make them stay in one place. And since we've strayed into such sinister territory, let's talk about parasitism the most toxic of symbiotic relationships. In these partnerships, one creature benefits at the expense of another. And while the survival of the parasite depends on the survival of the host, the freeloaders can often cause illness and eventually death. There are loads of parasites, from fleas to tapeworms and even mistletoe, but by far the creepiest out there is the cordyceps fungus. Cordyceps spores infect insects like this bullet ant and in true zombie fashion, take over its brain, making it climb high above the forest floor and clamp onto a twig with its mouth parts. Locked in its rictus grip, the fungus has the perfect anchor and nutrients from the insect's body to grow its own fruiting body. Once this matures, more spores will burst from its tip and with the wide dispersal that the high vantage point affords, can infect and decimate entire colonies. And what's even more terrifying is that there are thousands of varieties of cordyceps fungus, each capable of brainwashing a different insect before consuming it from the inside. So there you have it, amazing symbiotic relationships that might not be so amazing for everyone involved. True, you can get ahead by working together, but as with so many things in life, it helps to keep an eye out for yourself as well, or you could end up nothing more than a drugged aphid. If you enjoyed this video, be sure to give us All right, so there you have it. Different kinds of symbiosis in nature. And I want to share with you a story from the Word of God where we find a very good story of symbiosis where both parties uh, have uh, something to gain. And from this story, I want to challenge you as a church today to enter in to a symbiotic relationship that does not become parasitic. And so let's read together 1 Kings chapter 17 and just a few verses here, beginning with verse 7. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the spirit of the living God. We're asking you, Lord, to touch our hearts and minds, God, and draw us closer to you, Lord, to benefit, God, from the relationships that we've had in this life. I'm praying, God, give us kingdom vision for your purposes, and we thank you for all that you're going to do in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. amen. That's a uh, message I've titled, Sweet Symbiosis. And I want to begin by looking at drought demeanor. 
in the scripture that we read this morning, we started in 1 Kings chapter 17. And if you are familiar with this chapter, you know that Elijah has just declared by the word of God that there is going to be a drought in the land. This drought has been uh, ordained by God as a punishment against a wicked king and his wife, Ahab and Jezebel. And so as a result of their disobedience and their idolatry and their wickedness against the kingdom, Elijah himself has pronounced this drought. And we know that in the scripture, this drought is going to last for three entire years. Now, I just want you to to imagine that you're not in a world where you can turn on a faucet and water just comes out without you even having to think about it. In a world that the, the... prophet Elijah lived in, where water was hard to come by, where rain, uh, you you know, if you're a farmer, you have to pray every year that rain is going to fall so that you can going to have a crop. And if that rain does not fall, it means that terrible things are going to happen to you. It means that you're not going to have uh, money to pay the bills. It means you're not going to have a crop to feed your children. It means that your livestock, your cattle, your goats, your sheep, it means if they don't have water to drink and they don't have food to eat that all of your livestock is going to die it's kind of like if all of your cars broke down at the same time and you wouldn't be able to get around this is what happened in the ancient world when a drought occurs it is a terrible thing for a drought to occur and can i tell you something people begin to do crazy things in the midst of drought have you ever been in a drought this morning Maybe not a a physical drought, maybe not a time where you don't have access to water, but we go through different kinds of droughts in this life, don't we? We go through droughts of faith. We go through droughts of not being able to hear from God. We go through droughts in, uh, in material wealth, financial droughts, hello? We go through times where it seems like there's just not enough month at the end of our money. And all the time that we spend dealing with different kinds of droughts, see, what happens when you are in a drought is you begin to do crazy things. There's another drought that occurs in the Word of God, 2 Kings chapter 6, and it says there was a great famine in Samaria. Behold, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for four score pieces of, you know that that, that says? 80 pieces of silver for the head of a donkey. People begin, listen, the values begin to change in the midst of drought. When when, uh, all of a sudden people cannot eat or drink, all of a sudden the values begin to shift quickly. Not only that, but it says in that scripture that a cab of dove's dung was sold for five pieces of silver. Can I tell you, they were buying and selling bird crap. The thing that normally you want to stay away from, and yet in the midst of a drought, it became valuable. See, this is what happens to us when we experience drought or famines in our lives, spiritual famines. Our values can very quickly change. Can you say amen? Maybe you've noticed that when uh, someone is starved for love and affection and attention, values can change. Maybe when someone doesn't feel like they're being noticed by their husband or their wife, all of a sudden there's this new, uh, new little, uh, little thing shaking around at work or on Facebook. And values 
can begin to change. And in the midst of drought, in the midst of famine, listen, that's when we make our worst decisions. Marriages fall apart in droughts. Destinies are destroyed in droughts. Families are torn apart. Abortions take place. Friendships are destroyed. People abandon their faith because of droughts and famines. It was in a famine. Genesis 12:10. it says that a famine in the land caused Abram to go down to Egypt. How many know nothing good comes out of Egypt? Egypt, which is a representation for our sinful nature, for our flesh. And he goes down to Egypt, and do you know who he brought out of Egypt with him? He brought a little handmaiden named Hagar, who was about to present some major problems in Abram's life. It was in the midst of a drought that he made a decision that eventually is going to play out in great heartache and destruction. In the book of Ruth, we see that it was in a time of drought and famine that a man named Elimelech took his family into Moab, a cursed place, a cursed people. He died in Moab, leaving a widow. Listen, it's in droughts that we make our worst decisions. And I just want to remind you that in the midst of your drought, it is not the time to change your values. It is the time to strengthen. It is the time to believe God. So in the midst of the drought, what happens, something happens to our brain in a drought. Something happens to the way that we think. We begin to become like those, uh, the, the prepper community. I don't know if you know that there's a segment of society out there called preppers. And they are preparing for the zombie apocalypse. They are uh, buying zombie bullets and zombie guns that are painted in bright green paint for some reason, thinking one day that there's, you know, every, all of society is going to be destroyed. And look, I'm, I'm all about being prepared. But there are people who spend every waking moment stocking a basement with ammunition, barrels of water, extra food, and uh, a, a, this is a mentality. Listen, if you live your whole life thinking like that, you cannot trust anybody. You cannot build relationships. The conventional wes- wisdom, if you feel you are in a drought, is to hoard, to gather to yourself. This is where we find a widow and a prophet Elijah in the midst of our scripture. They are in a time of drought. And it's in this moment that our natural gut instinct is to hold on. Who's with me this morning? To hold on to what we have. What little I do have, I need to watch over. I need to keep it close. I'm not going to give even $10 to the guy on the side of the street because I'm having a drought. Everybody with me so far? And this is the context of the story that we read this morning. Elijah is a prophet, and he has just pronounced this three-year drought on the land. He is not only uh, the one who pronounced it, but now he's also suffering from it. To such an extent that if you read a few verses before, you see that God had to take the prophet Elijah to a river, in verse 4, and it says, uh, God says to him that he has commanded the ravens to feed you there. So in other words, God has to miraculously provide food and water for the prophet in order for him to stay alive. This is a very terrible drought. 
God is punishing the land, but in the midst of that punishment, God is providing for the prophet. Now, there's a lesson right there that you need to catch today. See, Elijah, he knows that there is a time limit on this drought. He knows that God is the one who ordained this drought. And so in the midst of it, he doesn't go full bore prepper mode as he simply obeys the voice of the Lord. God says, look, I have a little river here and I'm going to command these ravens. You ever seen ravens? Ravens are usually the ones picking up the roadkill, right? They are not. Their nature is not to release food to someone else. But God has changed the circumstances for his man in his time so that the ravens will provide miraculous sustenance for the man of God. There's a lesson in there for you. That in the drought, God is capable of supplying your need. When you are listening to him, when you are following him, when you are doing his will, when you are faithful, God is able to supply your need. Isn't God still Jehovah Jireh? The God who supplies, the God who provides. The word provide, when you break it down, is pro, to see forward. And vide, which means to see. God provides. He is able to see where you are. To see forward what you're going to go through. God knew before you even hit your drought that there was going to be a drought. And he says, look, I can make it in such a way that what you don't expect to provide for you will help you in the midst of that drought. And so here's Elijah, and God is miraculously providing for him. And now what we see is that God is going to ask Elijah to enter in to a symbiotic relationship. And this is the point of what I want you to catch this morning before we leave this place. Now, I've mentioned leading up to this service that I'm going to make a special announcement during this service, and you're about to hear what it is. So pay attention. I want to speak to you secondly this morning about the prophet's portion and the widow's wonder. And I have to admit to you that this is kind of difficult for me to preach about because it's me. (laughs) And so here's, here's the idea. In the midst of the drought, there are two people in need. There is the prophet Elijah, who already knows that he's in a drought, that God has to miraculously provide for him. But now God is going to introduce another person into the story, someone we don't expect, a widow. A widow from a place called Zarephath. And this is what we meet her in verse 9. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, this widow has something in common with the ravens we just read about. In the fact that we don't expect a raven or a widow to be a source of provision for God's people. We don't expect either a raven to bring meat to a prophet, nor do we expect this widow who has nothing to be the source of provision for the man of God. And yet, Here's what's interesting to me about this story. If you were Elijah and God was speaking this to you and you're sitting there at the river and God is, he's got his marching orders for you. Where am I going to go next? And you're saying, yes, God, I know you're going to provide. It's going to be good. It's going to be awesome. You, you provided for me using all these ravens and these beasts of the air. And, and okay, so what's the next step, God? God says, look, 
I've provided for you someone who's going to take care of you, Elijah. Yes, who is that person, God? I know, I just saw a castle. I passed by a castle a few days ago. I saw that king over there. He had big feasts on his table. God says, nope, nope, that's not the right place. He says, oh, okay, so uh, maybe, maybe it was this, uh, this middle-class neighborhood that I passed just a few days. I'm sure if I just knocked on a few doors there that, God, you're going to be able to supply for me from there. God says, no, nope, that's not it either. <laughs> God says to Elijah, I have a widow. I have a widow. Her husband is dead. She has a son. And she's only got enough food for one more meal. Would you be excited about that if you were the prophet Elijah? Oh, man. Seriously? Man, God, I was, I was just getting a little hungry. Now I'm going to put myself out there for, uh, for what, God? Is there anything there? Of all the places God could have sent him, why to a widow? I'm about to show you why. Number one, because God wanted to meet the prophet's need, not all of his desires. That's still true today. When we pray, God, I want you to supply for me, God says, no problem. I'll supply for all of your needs, but not necessarily all of your wants. There's a big difference this morning. Aren't, are you still with me today? There's a difference between what you want and what you need. Many times the things we want are much more than what we actually need. Lord, uh, Brother Patrick, is, he says he's praying to get a car. Listen, I bet Brother Patrick want, want, wants a Ferrari back there. But, but he doesn't need a Ferrari. He needs a Ford. He needs, he needs something that's going to drive him around, four wheels and a steering wheel, right? But what we want is, God, oh, give me a Lexus. Oh, God, I'm believing you for an Acura. Oh, God, give me. But see, maybe he's got a Civic in mind. See what I'm saying? Many times there's a large difference. And in, it's true with the case of Prophet Elijah that maybe in his mind he's thinking, okay, God, you, um, you sent the ravens and they brought me some food. So I think next it's going to be an eagle. and He's going to be carrying an entire chicken in his talons. And th this is what he's thinking. Oh, that would be nice, God, if you, would, if you would help me with this, God. But God says, no, hold on a second, Elijah. I'm here to provide for your needs, not for your wants. God did not take him to Golden Corral. God did not command for him to go to the castle of a king. God directed him to a starving widow. And there's a reason why this morning. The reason is because God's plan was not only to feed Elijah. But God's plan was to miraculously move for the needs of this widow and her son. This is going to be a symbiotic relationship that both the prophet Elijah and the widow are going to enter in by faith. And as a result, they are both going to benefit. Are you both with me? Are, are we all with me today? God wanted to meet the prophet's needs, but he also wanted to help a poor widow. See, the problem is that in our generation, when it comes to supplying the needs 
of the prophet or the man of God or the spiritual leader in a church. The problem is that there has been great abuse in the church of Jesus Christ. There have been false teachers like Creflo Dollar. There have been false teachers, Jesse Duplantis, the prosperity gospel preachers. You've mostly seen them on TV. And what they are doing is violence to the kingdom of God. They're saying, send in your $1,000 so I can buy my $65 million jet plane. That's wicked. That's like God sending a prophet to, to a golden corral. But God doesn't do that. See, that's the wicked desires of evil men who are hungry for money. And that's not what I'm here to preach about. But because of that abuse and because of that violence, what has happened in the kingdom of God is there's an attitude toward preachers and toward pastors that they should be poor. That they should be hungry. Why do they get special treatment? And I'm not here to ask for special treatment this morning. But I'm saying that this is an attitude that is in many of God's good people. But when you look at the word of God, what you will find is a plan that God has to continue to supply for the leader of any spiritual movement. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Galatians 6, verse 6. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So in other words, God is still using little widows to provide for the needs of his prophets. Now, I am not here today claiming any special greatness from you. I'm not claiming to be like the prophet Elijah, far from it. But I am suggesting that maybe there is a symbiotic relationship that we can both benefit from this morning. I want to talk about the awkward ask. Because this is awkward, (laughs) a little bit, at least for me. Maybe you're not feeling awkward. It's awkward for me to preach this message. And I believe it was also awkward for Elijah to to approach this widow. Can you imagine what it was like for him to walk up upon a widow and she because of her starvation, she's already like her body is frail, coming to nothing. And as he approaches her, he can see that she's in desperate need. But look at the scripture as it happens in verse 10, he came to the gates of the city. Indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and the first Words out of his mouth, bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. Doesn't that sound selfish to you? It does to me. It sounds awkward. I mean, she's a widow. She's gathering sticks for a fire. She can barely hold on to her life. Verse 11, as she was going to get it, he called to her. Second word that he spoke, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Doesn't that seem awkward to you? Hey, you, bring me a drink. I'm thirsty. Bring me some bread. I'm hungry. So listen to what she says in response. Verse 12. As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. I only have a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in, prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. 
That's a little dramatic. What she's saying to the prophet Elijah is, I have nothing. I only have enough for one more meal. This is it. I don't have a plan for tomorrow. This is my last meal. And here's Elijah. Listen to what he says back to her. Verse 13, do not fear. Go do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. How awkward is this? How prideful almost. You you think, Elijah, can't you see that she's in desperate need? And you are asking for her last meal? How dare you? See, the attitude of this generation uh, that, that is you know, on food stamps and welfare for eternity is I, I deserve what I get. If it's in my pocket, that's where it's staying. That's the attitude our generation has. And here's Elijah awkwardly having to ask this woman for her last meal. And I almost feel the same this morning. Because the big announcement that I have for you today is that my intention is that I want to begin taking a salary from the church. Now let me just share with you where this sermon is coming from because I want you to understand that that I believe God is moving through all of this. And I wouldn't be doing this if it was just out of my own intuitions or my own feelings or emotions. So just a little history about our church. Uh, some of you were here with us when we were in our old building down on Holland Road next to Little Caesars. It always smelled like pizza dough in there. <laughs> it was like the bread of heaven. I was always emanating from that church. Uh, and so we had been in, in that building for about eight or nine years, and it was time to move. That place was falling apart. We wanted to get a better building. God did some miracles to provide for us uh, supernaturally so that we could financially make, make a move into this building. Uh, once we got into this building, uh, what happened is that our rent doubled overnight. The church rent went from $2,000 a month to over $4,100 a month. We've been paying $4,100 every month for the last four years that we've been in this building. And when we made that switch, the church struggled financially. Uh, at that time, we were taking a small salary from the church, but... Uh, what we decided is after we moved is, uh, okay, we see that the church is struggling. We were getting behind on some of our bills. And so my wife and I, uh, we made a decision that I'm going to have to go back to work. And we happily did that to provide for the, our own needs and also so that the church could pay its own bills. So for the last four, almost five years that we've been in this building, I've been a volunteer pastor. And I haven't complained. You haven't heard me complain about it, have you? <laughs> this is the first time I'm mentioning this. And I'm not here to whine and complain, and please don't take it that way. This is awkward for me to have to talk about this. Just like it's awkward for the prophet Elijah to say, please, could you bake a cake for me first? But I believe, beloved, that there is a symbiotic relationship that we can enter into this morning that is going to be a blessing for you, and for us. In this portion of scripture that we just read, the prophet Elijah is asking for three things. Water in a cup, a morsel of bread, 
and a small cake. Can't you see, Elijah, that she doesn't have enough for herself? And right there, right there is where we have to see that God is doing something bigger than just filling Elijah's belly. God is about to do a miracle for this widow. And Elijah begins to understand and see God moving. Listen to the promise again that he gave to a starving widow. Verse 13, Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. After that, you will make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. What I want you to get from this scripture is that this was a challenge of faith. Challenge of faith. You have to believe God. This is the principle of the tithe. Are you familiar with the principle of the tithe from the Old Testament? The principle was, again, going back to an agricultural society, we suffer because we're in a modern world trying to understand the Bible. But in an agricultural society, we would understand very easily why a tithe was so important. If you're a farmer and your first crop of the season, you've been waiting all winter, you planted in the spring, you're waiting for your crop to grow. Finally, your crop grows and your first harvest is ready at the end of the summer, right? And that's the time that you are very hungry. You are very desperate to sell your crop and make some money and bring home some bacon, right? But God says the first one belongs to me. So that means the first harvest, you're not going to be able to sell that one. You've got to take that one down to the temple and give it first as an offering. And you're going to have to wait a few more weeks for the second harvest to come around. If you are a, a sheeper, a sheep herder, if you're a, a, a shepherd, then, you, you know, when your sheep, when your flock begins to produce little lambs, this is a blessing for you. More sheep means more money, means more wool, means more food on your table. But the first tenth. If you have 100 sheep and the first 10 of them give birth, you don't get to play with those little lambs. You don't get to name them. You know, it's always a danger if you name the cat that wanders around your house. You give it a name, that probably means you're going to keep it. But for the shepherd, the first 10 that were born, you know what he's going to do with them? He's going to grab them by the ankles and take them down to the temple. And he's going to have to wait for the second crop. Are you understanding why the principle of the tithe is so painful? In the scripture, we see it in action. We see the prophet Elijah, he says to the woman, he says, make the cake for me first. Don't set it aside knowing that you've got it for later just in case. Because that little cake, that the only thing you've got left, he says, that's the one that you're going to give to me. And do you know why the principle of the tithe is so powerful? Because it requires the exercise of faith. If you've been around this church for any amount of time, you know that faith is the very currency that we deal in. It's the currency of the Word of God. It is our 
it is, if you have any relationship with God, it is because of faith. Without faith, the Bible says, we cannot even please God. And so Elijah now is seeing if this woman has the faith to put the very last food that she has, to put it into his hands instead of into her son's. Faith. It's a challenge of faith. Even for Elijah, I believe it would be challenging for him even to ask this of the widow. It takes faith. Lord, is she even going to listen to what I say? Lord, you know, it's challenging. And it's challenging for us too here in 2019. Everything that we do is by faith. My goal and my vision is in the next month to be able to walk away from my part-time job that I've been working for the last four years and have all of that income replaced by you. But that's, that takes faith for our family. Pastor Campbell preaches about the time that he went on salary for his very first church for $25 a week and lived in the church attic. And he shames all of us pastors by saying that. Because it takes faith. He believed God. He went on a church salary, and God gave him revival. My prayer is that you would be able to supply for our needs. But this is not a parasite relationship. I'm not here just to siphon off your hard-earned tithe money. I believe that we can enter into a symbiotic relationship where the same miracle is going to provide for you and your house. See, at the end of the day, when the widow believed God, believed the word of Elijah, and she did what he asked. Look at verse 15. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And watch the provision of God. She and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord which he spoke by Elijah. Now remember, we're in a time of famine. We're in a time of drought. But this woman has a jar that when she pours out a little oil, she comes back to it the next day and it's full again. She pours it out and it's full again. God is not providing steak dinners for her. But he is supplying her need in the midst of drought. Are you with me? God is doing something supernatural. The widow down the street didn't have what she had. Because she believed God, because she believed the word of Elijah, then God gave her supernatural provision. And I'm telling you that this is the symbiotic relationship that God had in mind. God provided one meal for Elijah. Just one meal. Then God provided years of provision for a widow and her son. He got one meal out of it. But she had ongoing resources. Have you been praying for a raise at your job? Maybe it's connected right here. Have you been praying for a promotion? Have you been praying to be able to meet the bills? I want to tell you, God has supernatural provision in store for his people. 
And I believe it could be connected with this decision that we are graciously entering into. The promise is given, but it takes faith. I want to close with the idea of securing sons. Now remember that this woman had a little son that she was responsible for. There was little, sad little eyes looking up at her, waiting for that cake. And that day when she took it out of the oven, and that little boy looked at her, thinking, ooh, we're having cake today? And he said, she said to him, no, son, this cake is for the prophet, and God's going to supply for our needs. On that day when she made that decision of faith, that little son was watching. Now the Bible fast-forwards a little bit. Look at verse 17, same chapter. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. We have a crisis, don't we? And there's something wrong with, with her son. It said there was no breath left in him. He died. Now for a widow, she has just lost everything. She has no husband to care for her. Her only hope is her son. Her son is symbolic to us for all of her future dreams and hopes. And if her son dies, then all of her future is dying with him. You see why this is more than just the death, uh, tragic death of a young person. But this is also her future, her destiny. This is her hopefulness as she ages, as she grows old. There's not going to be someone there to help her, to work and to provide for her. She's a widow, and now her son is also dead. This is a tragedy. It's a crisis. And in the midst of this crisis, who does she go to? She goes back to Elijah. Look at verse 18. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? She's angry. And as many of us do, get angry in the times of crisis. But he says to her, give me your son. He took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. You know the story, how Elijah imparts life back into this child's body. He stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Verse 22. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. Here's what I'm telling you today. If this widow would not have believed God and given that cake first to Elijah, then she would have ever been without a son on that day. I'm telling you that the revival of her son, the revival of her future, the revival of her destiny was linked to providing for the prophet Elijah. Verse 23, Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. She, he literally gave back to her her future. 
And Elijah said, see, your son lives. It's very humbling for me to have to preach a message like this to you. But what I want to say to you this morning is, is it possible that your spiritual future depends on this decision today? My prayer is that it is. My prayer is that this decision could be a a turning point in the history of our church. As I'm able to not have to uh, work a nine-to-five, where I can put in energy for the church, where I can do follow-up, where I can do street ministry, where I can, uh, I can knock on people's doors and pray for the sick, where I can be freed up with some of my time to not have to always worry about paying the bills. And it benefits you. And maybe one day when you're in a crisis, I won't have to talk to you on the phone and say, sorry, I'm at work right now. I'll talk to you next week. My prayer is this morning that we could have a vision for the future of our congregation. A vision to revive our sons and our daughters that are coming into this church. I have, a, I have a goal, I have a prayer that God would start up some kind of a Bible study in school. I would love to go into a high school or a university locally and start a Bible study there. I would love to, you know, these are ideas that have passed through my head, but I don't have time to do those things. My prayer is that there would be, you would gain a vision for a sweet symbiosis. I'm not asking for, you know, for Creflo dollar money this morning. I'm simply asking that you would supply our needs so that there can be a symbiotic relationship between pastor and church. And my prayer is that you would have a vision for that and see that there are miraculous possibilities involved in this relationship this morning. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment as we bring the service to a close. I do love and appreciate all of you. I'm not preaching this just because I'm tired. Yes, that's true. (laughs) But it was during the week of conference that God began to speak to me. God began to show me. God began to challenge me on this issue right here. I said, God, I don't want to preach that message so awkward having to present my needs to the church. God showed me that I was being prideful. Being prideful because I can provide for my own needs. I know how to do it. I know how to make money. God showed me that I need to humble myself. I need to stop looking to the castles and the kings to provide for my meals. I need to come back to the widow and ask her for the last thing that she has. And so that's what I'm doing by faith this morning. And as we come into this uh, service, into this time, into this relationship, I want to take a moment and I want to ask you, are you right with God? I mentioned during the message today that without faith, you cannot please God. Anything that you have from God, it came because you believed. And that is also true of salvation. 
The truth is that we are all broken before the Lord. We are all sinners. We are all rebels against the holy God. And this morning, the only way that we can be made right with God is if we would believe Him. That His word is true. That the good news of the gospel is for me personally. It's for you personally. Pastor, what do I need to do to be saved? Believe in Jesus, the Son of God, who died on the cross, rose from the dead. You put your trust only in Him to save you. And then you repent of sins. This is something I did when I was 16 years old. A young man, without any direction in my life. I surrendered my heart. I said, God, I don't even know if you're there. But if you are, God, would you save me? I know I'm a sinner. I'm on my way to hell, but I need your forgiveness. Maybe that's you today. You need that forgiveness and grace and mercy of a holy God. It's here this morning. He is here to reveal himself to you. To save you and rescue you from your sins. Before we do anything else, if that's you today, I want to pray for you. Unsaved. You don't know the Lord, but you want to. You have the opportunity to enter in to a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And if, if you want that today, I'd love to pray with you. I wonder, would you just do one thing quickly? You'd slip up your hand and say, please pray for me, Pastor. I'm not right with God, but I want to be. I want my life to be changed. I want a new heart and a new start with God. Is that you? Quickly, you'd slip up your hand so I can see it. Nobody looking around for just a moment. Maybe you're backslidden. There was a time you lived for God. But you've made decisions that have pulled you out of God's will. Things that you're ashamed of. Things that you're back involved in. And oh God, He's speaking to you now. Come back home. Prodigal son, come home. Prodigal daughter. Is that you? Quickly, I'd love to pray for you. Any of those who are wandering, running from God. Would you lift up your hand so I can see it? Anyone here quickly as God's dealing with us, unsaved or backslidden, for just a moment. As God deals with our hearts, is that you? Quickly, you'd slip up your hand. Is there anyone at all? Quickly, quickly today. Thank you. And as we begin to search our hearts today, I'm going to put a challenge in front of this church. As Elijah challenged a widow to give her last cake, I want to put a challenge in front of this congregation This is a giving congregation. A church of this size normally is not able to do what we do. But I'm asking you to do something more. I'm asking you to be challenged in your faith. I'm asking you to go above and beyond the normal of what you've been normally doing. I'm asking you to make the cake first for the church, for the kingdom. Because I believe that there is supernatural provision waiting for you. That there is a jar that will not run dry in your life. There is a bin that currently it's dry, it's gone, or there's only a morsel left. And God says, I want to fill that in your life. I want to fill your joy. I want to fill your provision. Your super. We're not just talking about financial resources, although that is involved. God has resources for your marriage, for your children, 
God has a future and a destiny in store for you. And could it be that it's related to what I'm preaching about this very morning? And I want to challenge you. If you're here today and you're, you're going to join me and say, I, God, I believe you. I believe you that your word is true. I'm going to trust you with the last of what I have. The principle of the tithe with the first of what I have. And God, I'm going to trust you this morning. I wonder if we could stand together in this place. We're going to open up this altar for prayer. And if God's dealing with you, I'd like you to come. I'd like you to come and join me here at the altar. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people. Oh,